Hi, my name is Jeff, and welcome to the Nexus Podcast. So today's guest is one of my dearest friends. We met at the pre-college at RISD in 2018. We were roommates back then, and the rest is history. We even went to <laughs> Iceland together. <laughs> he then successfully yeah. entered Yale's engineering program, working on both engineering and design studies. Without further introduction, please welcome my friend, Jacob Eldred. Hello. You like the introduction? <laughs> I do like the introduction. That's good music, too. Yeah, like, uh, my friend made that for me. He's going to be on the podcast soon, actually. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I'll listen to that nice. Yeah, so we're going to enter our first section, which is going to be a 60-second speed question round, if you're ready. We're All just right. going to go. All right. So what kind of music do you listen to? Uh, it used to be a lot of EDM, but now it's just, kind of pop, alt, pop, alt, rock. Maybe that's what it's called. Like indie, even some indie music too, like indie yeah, pop. Sure. I see, I see. Yeah. Do you have a favorite artist? At the moment? Or I designer? Do um, you do not? No oh, one? Oh, favorite, favorite, favorite visual artist. I, I thought you meant like a musical artist. Uh, has to be Ed Ruscha. Ed Ruscha? Ed, Ed Ruscha. Ed Ruscha, okay. Yeah. Uh, big American guy lives in lives in Los Angeles. I see, I see. What does he What does he do? What kind of art? He does. I think he does mostly paintings. He did a, a lot of he kind of pioneered the strip panorama photo style. But uh, he did a lot of paintings. Uh, famous series like Course of Empire. I think that was at the Venice Biennale. I see. Is the Earth round or flat? <laughs> we go with round. Okay. All right. Okay. So that section is over. <laughs> okay, yeah, pretty fast. Okay, now let's just have a normal conversation. So, how are you doing, bro? How's life? <laughs> we life is we good. haven't been talking yep. for like a month or so, right? Yeah, it's, it's been a while. Uh, I don't think we talked over the kind of winter break, but I just moved back to New Haven, finished up some projects. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, you told me that you were working on these benches. I saw you yeah. sent me photos, like. I saw like <laughs> they look really nice. Yeah. Uh yeah. how many how long did you yeah, how long did it take you to finish all of them? So the benches, you know, um are basically the, the same design for my furniture major at RISD two summers ago. Yeah. Uh and back then that took whatever it was. If you kind of strip away the design and the crisp, it took four weeks full days a week to make one back then right and yeah this one i don't know this must have been like well and the environment was different because like i remember you struggling in our uh, little dorm room <laughs> cutting all those oh, little yeah. pieces yeah yeah so so this one must have taken like 
12, probably 12 days of work. But the problem was that because of COVID, I yeah. would only go to the wood shop from like 10 p.m. to 4 a.m. 10 p.m. to 4? Yeah. Are you, or to, are to like you two, crazy? Two most days. But four some days, uh, it, was, it was brutal. And then I would ha- I had to go back to the shop at 10 a.m. the next morning to take apart all the glue up. Oh, yeah, 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 because you clamp everything together. Yeah, yeah all the wood so stuff. Really not a very fun schedule, especially with another job I was working. But oh, so, like, in the morning you have, like, a day job, then at night you go to the wood shop? Yeah, I, I, I Jesus, do that during the day, actually. So You crazy for that. You truly crazy ball. for that. Mm. Like, that's, like, a student work life. I have a, I have a friend in my wood class. She's a girl, and uh, she never comes to class for some reason. And she's always <laughs> late on stuff. And we, we all thought, like, she's just, like, not paying attention, doesn't want to study. And, like, uh, someone told me, told us, that she has, like, four jobs for some reason. Oh, crap. Yeah. And we were just wondering, like, you're at RISD. Why won't you just invest in, like, your studies and, like, that, you know what I mean? Rather than yeah. working four jobs. Yeah, no, the... So work, working all the jobs that, that fall was kind of brutal, but it was all, like, the only reason why I did any of them uh, was that, well, first of all, they were all paid jobs, but I wasn't doing any one of the free work. Yeah. But also, they were all kind of engineering, design, manufacturing jobs. Yeah. All kind of stuff that I actually liked doing with good experience. That's true. Yeah. So, anyways, like the benches, uh, you said you were going to make four, right? But I only <laughs> saw two <laughs> in the picture. I said I was gonna make. I said I was gonna make four, and then I thought, actually, let me do two in walnut and two in maple, kind of a black and white, yeah, kind of deal. Right. And then I got to the wood uh, warehouse under this place in New London, Connecticut. Honestly, some of the most beautiful wood I've seen in my entire life. Like really beautiful stuff. Also crazy expensive wood Damn. and also super big and super heavy and i was like let me just only get the walnut <laughs> for two benches and if i like how it's going i'll come back later and get some more wood and we'll see how it goes i, I never went back for more wood are you it still was, gonna uh, make more though if you sell if, I can if sell you these sell these two, two yeah if i could sell these first two that would give me the confidence to make more whether i do it in the spring or the summer unclear but yeah yeah I re- did i tell you the funny story about buying the wood that day nah nah you didn't <laughs> tell so, me about it I, so my friend um who i live kind of just down the street from in new haven last fall right he has a car right and a big kind of flatbed trunk so perfect for wood uh yeah. it's like you know five and a mm-hmm. half feet which is the exact length of the bench it's perfect and i was like all right i'll pay you to drive me to new london connecticut to get this wood and, and drive it back for me. Yeah. Uh, and, and he was totally down. We wake up at like five in the morning. Right. Um, we can get there right when it opens. Mm. And we wake up really early. We drive out. We get, you know, Dunkin' Donuts, 530 on I-95. <laughs> Beautiful scenic morning over 95. We yeah, get I there. love I-95. Oh, yeah. We get there. We buy the wood. Um, we cut it. 
loaded up into the trunk and it must be i mean it's a few hundred pounds of wood it's like six quarter walnut all these giant 12 foot planks kind of cut down into four foot sections mostly and then two giant sheets of plywood all over the top and his car is like kind of old it's like 15 years old maybe mm. and he was like yeah there's there's so much wood in the trunk we can't do the highway going back wow so, oh yeah too fast because it, it's just too heavy and it's uh. a car can't get up to like 95 feet oh, so we yeah. take local roads going back and connecticut i will not speak ill of connecticut on the air <laughs> but connecticut is an especially beautiful state once you get out of the cities. so we yeah. leave the city we drive past there like two like nascar tracks like kind of big like stock car racing track i had no idea oh damn and suddenly we're in this like beautiful like 1780s like farm country like rolling hills yeah the scenic connecticut (laughs) connecticut early fall kind of early foliage yeah and we're having a great time Mm. uh i'm kind of reaching around the back of the chair to hold the wood from sliding around and getting dented and we get kind of more and more rural past through with a few towns and suddenly we're in an area that is like either forested or that has pretty big farms and a farmhouse every once in a while. Right. And my friend looks at his gas gauge oh, and he no. doesn't say we're almost out of gas. He says we're out of gas. Oh my God. My gauge is below negative right now. And <laughs> thankfully we still had service. Yeah. Apple Maps, great feature. You can click it nearest gas station, redirect to yeah, nearest yeah, gas yeah. station. I know so that. Click that. It's like, I think it was like, 10 minutes away. Yeah. And I was like, can we make it 10 minutes? And he was like, maybe. Mm. And we have all this wood in the trunk and it's just super hilly drive. And we're mm. like coasting down the hills. We're just going through, we're coasting through stop signs, never hitting the brakes, looking for other cars, yeah. looking for what house would be the safest to approach and ask for gas. <laughs> like who's got a tractor who can like give us gas for yeah. free and like wouldn't kill us for it. Oh my God. And then and it's cold too. Kind of, yeah, exactly. And then thankfully, we kind of roll into the gas station. Uh, Dick's Sitco in Durham, Connecticut, if you ever want to go, to have fresh eggs. Um, and then we get some gas, and then we head, and we head back to New Haven. But wow. it, was, uh, it was a little a little story behind the benches. Beyond That's a all story. The, that all is a story. Yeah, I remember once I was, like, driving back home. Uh, I looked at my uh, uh, gas thing. It said uh, 70 miles left. It was like a 2009 Ford Escape. <laughs> and it had one of those like old systems, I think. Uh, I think the system that they calculate how many mileage you have left is like a little little, little spoon thing almost. Like it measures it every time like it sinks down, lifts up, and measures how many gas you have, like the level. But, like, I think it just miscalculated. It just, like, kind of stopped. <laughs> like, on the highway. I was like, oh, wow. The car just shut off. <laughs> and it just pulled over. I had my boosted board with me at the time. And <laughs> I, I was actually, like, f- fairly close to, like, a gas station. Because, like, I was almost home. So I boosted board from the highway to the uh, gas station. And looked for, like, uh, any, like, you know, those gas thingies, like a tank or whatever. Jerry Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But didn't have any. So I couldn't just 
get gas and go back. So I had to like call AAA to get like the insurance. And yeah. I waited for like two hours. The guy came, all that. I was just on the car. It was so, it was so stupid. Yeah. That's crazy though. You ran out of gas and your car just stopped. Yeah, it said like out like the battery logo, the battery sign like popped up. I was like, something wrong with my car battery. I was like so confused at first because like that was like the first time that my car ran out of gas. It never happened to me, <laughs> so I was yeah. so confused. Yeah. But anyways, yeah. Uh, so like for the benches, remember like those little tiles on top? Yeah. Like those yeah. shapes. How is it like? different this time around when because like you've definitely like learned a lot more stuff than uh at pre-college how is it that different because you were in pre-college you were like kind of hand cutting them tuning them yeah. almost so how about this time back when i made the first version uh the bench is covered in these hexagons of wood these hexagonal tiles of veneer yeah and i cut them all by hand which if you ever tried to even draw a hexagon, drawing a hexagon by hand is so painful. Yeah. You can construct it with uh, a compass and it takes out, takes so long, or you can do it with kind of rulers and triangles. It still takes forever. Um, the, that was honestly the kind of the one thing that saved the project this fall was uh, I figured out how to laser cut the hexagon. Yeah, laser cutting and definitely. And that just let me, I mean, I did all the hexagons. I cut them all in one night, whereas wow. doing them by hand would have taken yeah. at least three days. So much better. Uh, yeah. But like yeah, learning, there was that. Yeah. And then I also, the one other upside of this whole endeavor was that I conquered my fear of the table saw. <laughs> uh, table saw is terrifying, and I hate it. Come but on, man. You went to furniture, now, and you're in engineering. You hate a table saw. <laughs> I used to hate the table saw. Now the table saw is kind of like, all right, like I know what to do. I know kind of what not to do. I know like how much it'll take yeah. doing the wrong thing before it gets angry at you. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that was, you know, I spent some quality time with the table saw late, late at night. Not a great <laughs> idea, but. Is there anyone there when you're like there like late at night from like 10 to 4? Any like monitors or I'm so, I'm actually like surprised how like the workshop actually like opens that late. The workshop, if you are anywhere near New Haven, Make Haven is the best makerspace workshop I've ever seen before. They're open 24 hours a day, all year. Damn. Uh, for power tools, you have to have a buddy watching you. So I would have a friend come with me, and they would work on their schoolwork while I did stuff on the power tools. Mm, um, okay. most nights when I had friends with me, I would leave around too because it was kind of cruel to hold anyone past too. Yeah, um, that's true. <laughs> but honestly, a better equipped shop than I've seen anywhere, including at my own university, unfortunately. But well, Yale isn't exactly you know like one of those like really, I guess, studio orientated school. It's more like us. <laughs> that's true, but like. I go to an engineering school. That's and true. One yeah. table saw and it's hidden in a basement somewhere. Yeah, that's actually true though. Like, y'all should oh, be right. like rich enough to have like all those, 
like tools, which Brown actually does. They have like a design center, which I discovered last year. We didn't know that when we were here in the summertime, but it's actually like huge. It's a lot better than like all of our studios almost. They have like wow. industrial sized like laser cutters for some reason. Nope. We have like, there's like a makerspace and then Mackie's have their own stuff, um, uh, which is good. There are more laser cutters than uh, a full machine shop. But uh, yeah, like this, this makerspace just had like everything and all together and they had the biggest water jet. Oh, so much fun. A water for jet? My, how do you, how do you use it for? What do you use it for? Uh, I used it for my other project. I uh, built this machine kind of big rotating drum machine uh, for uh for a covid research oh wow and there are a bunch of weird parts had to be made for it weird kind of brackets and custom arms that i designed for covid then, yeah for for uh, research so it's this big kind of drum and it moves okay. really slowly uh and because it moves slowly uh it disturbs the air inside such that an aerosolized particle like COVID when you cough or sneeze yeah. doesn't fall to the ground. You can kind of study how COVID acts and lives in the air itself, not on the surface. Wow. That's actually super interesting. Yeah. How did you how did My, you guys uh, even think about that project? That was uh there's a flyer for it on one of the Mechie things. It was uh, oh. it's a proof of concept machine for, for one of the labs that's doing research. Yeah, so but, did it work at last? Yeah, it is currently in a vent hood in a building somewhere, and they're doing real research with it. Yo, that's cool. Holy shit. That's really cool. That's cool. Yeah. So it was you, really fun making it, yeah. too, because there were all these all these parts that I designed for, and I was going to go make it myself in the machine shop. Yeah. And then I go to the machinist who runs kind of Mackey machine shop and he's like, no, we can't do that here. Like those parts are way too big. You got to go to the other machine shop. <laughs> and there's this like secret machine shop all the way at the top of what we call science Hill. Yeah. Um, and it's, you know, students don't really ever go there. And it's just these, I think it's three or four or five really top notch professional machinists. Shout out to Vinny and Mike. Um, and, they, like, they just do the work for you. You kind of bring them drawings and they'll do the work for you. Yeah, but, like the monitors. That's for us kind yeah. of like that too. Like the higher, like, class machines, they just, like, like for this year, like our, our like, 3D printing stuff, we just send it to the lab and they do it for us instead. Yeah, I think it's just COVID maybe. And you got to learn all those stuff too. Now, but like once I once I kind of the, the project was done and I looked back on it, I realized kind of how crazy I was thinking I could do this myself. <laughs> one of the parts on this thing is an aluminum pipe, and yeah. it's, it's two feet long and it's one foot in diameter. That's big, bro. That's like and big. they had to <laughs> kind of take you know face the ends and put some threaded holes in it do some kind of concentricity stuff and take a few, you know, thousands of an inch off of it. And that's just, that's a level of skill that I will never achieve on a mill or a lathe because that's just yeah, yeah. a 
a that's real just special too job. big. Yeah, yeah, it's impossible to do it by yourself. Yeah, but that is that is honestly, and if we're if, if we're making this this whole thing educational, that is my lesson for all mechanical engineers out there: <laughs> is listen to your machinists; they are smarter than you. Yeah, well, you're gonna be better than you can like tell the machinists to do whatever. <laughs> You know? That's true. Like, like I, you know, the Mechie kind of thinks of all the stuff and designs it all, but no Mechie learns what kind of cross section you need for an aluminum plate to fit an O-ring in it that seals properly. That's true. That's you know? true. But yeah, the machinist for sure knows how to do that for you. Yeah. Yeah. Would you say like your study now is more engineering oriented, or like design is coming back more and more to you? In your studies, you mean like for me personally? Yeah. For me, I say I'm kind of I study engineering because that's just kind of what my major is, and everyone takes the same classes. So yeah. everyone else is going towards the Mechie track. Yeah. But I personally, I don't know. I think I'm sticking kind of. School and classes-wise, I'm sticking to Mechie and the kind of technical side of it. You can take all your classes to have all the math and the physics in it. Yeah. But then, kind of personally, I'm doing a lot of projects that are more designed. I mean, I think of myself as an artist, mm. but what I make doesn't have as much a political statement as most kind of current artists like would have. So you, yeah. I feel like it's more like a design thing. Then, it's like uh, yeah, how it's, do I say it? Um, let's just say like if I design a um, like a phone or like something like that, a sculpture. You're like more of the efficient side rather than have to show like the more artistic side of it. Yeah, Does that I makes mean, sense. Well, that makes sense to me. I think that kind of. The kind of classical term for what I'm doing would be like art decorative, kind of like old-fashioned word for like decorative arts. You know, like furniture. Yeah, furniture is a, a great example where it is a, a functional machine. It it does something. It yeah. has a function, but it's still kind of beautiful. And even yeah, I mean that for for me, I even like doing that for everything I do. So for this big machine, the big COVID machine, I made. You know, first, obviously, these things have to work. Yeah. But after you make all all the things work, and you kind of see where you have some room to push the design in right. a way that won't affect how it works or how sensitive it is to make, then you make it beautiful. Yep. And that's something that yeah. most people, you know, most engineers might kind of end at. Well, yeah. this works. I'm done now. Yeah. But I like to go kind of, you know, look at your angles, look at your fillet radii, look at all your yep. lines. I like the it's discussion like, of form. It looks really nice. Yeah, the form always mat matters at the end. Like, it has to look nice. If it's like a project you show people, I feel like it always has to look somewhat, not pleasing, but like, um, it has to have that touch of just form to it. It can't just be like a, like a thing that sits in the basement forever and you just like do some kind of... Exactly education I mean, thing to it like i personally always kind of took my like my starting point 
um, or I like what my starting point was, was kind of what you see in, in museums almost, the kind of old-fashioned scientific devices. Yeah. The row is made of brass and mahogany and glass, kind of custom glass pieces. And that's what I wanted to look like almost. Like my first version of, of yeah, like the classic. design actually had wooden pieces and weird brass pieces. Uh, I see, um, yeah. And the wood was eventually vetoed because you can't clean it properly with, you know, bleach. Yeah. But uh, it, in the end, it, it, it had both a very high degree of finish just as the machinists were really good at what they did. Mm. Um, but also there was definitely a lot of form. And I, I snuck in a few pieces that were pretty much mostly decorative. You know, it had I like one you. mechanical function yeah. but it's actually just a sculpture of like Atlas. I see. Yeah, it's always like, like for us, like industrial design, I think we're really like similar to you guys. It's because it's always about function vs form, form vs function. Like, what do you consider the most important in a product, and does it fit like a certain environment? I was working on this air blower design recently, like my final for uh, the first semester. I redesigned this air blower that you just dry carpets with. One of the critiques was, I actually, I really appreciate that critique. She said, um, for like an air blower, the whole point of it being like ugly and using like the cheap plastic and all that is because like, it's not like something that's like precious. Like you don't keep it where like um, you save it or something. You just use it. It can get banged up. You can have like scratches or whatever. But, like, I designed something that's, like, more, like, higher-end, even, like, um, better plastic colors and the form of, like, a, how, like, a fluidity and form, all that form, it looked like. If, you, if you've if seen it on my Instagram, it kind of looks like a, how can I describe it? Like a wave, almost? But, yeah. yeah, like, the whole conversation, that critique was just, is it? is the design in the right place and should you improve it, push it that much? And when you push it to a certain like point, does it, is it over designed? I feel like that's always like my, my stuff on design because like a lot of projects for me, sometimes the critique is always over designed a little bit there and that. Like, it's a little bit too much because, like, we always think we got to make something modern and all that. And sometimes it might just be better to stay, like, classic. Yeah. Well, maybe this is not quite the direction that you were going to go with this, but I would say that even with something like that, with a device that's going to live in your closet, no no guest is going to see it. You're not even going to look at it. You're going to use it. There's still room for design and consideration. Yeah, yeah of it's sometimes course. Lost. And like my favorite example of that would be, I think my dad told me this. My, my dad's an architect. Yeah. And if you if you've ever been to the Franklin Street Station on the one train in Manhattan, um, they have I feel these like unusual. I've never tiles. been on the one train for some reason. What? I feel like I've never been on the one train. Wait, where does I it go? Wait, where does it go? One train's like kind of old train. It goes all the way up in the Bronx, then Cortland Park, down to the uh, Staten Island Ferry, down Broadway for a while, Times Square, Penn Station. 
I feel like I've never like been on the one train for some reason. I re- I, know, I know it's red. The logo's red. But yeah, it's red. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, at the one station, they have these tiles that are unusual. Uh, yeah. Most subway tiles are kind of like one color. Yeah. These are all kind of speckled and have, uh, I don't know what the word is, for it, but it has a weird shape, like a kind of conglomerate almost. Um, and the reason that they were kind of experimenting using these shapes, these uh, tiles that looked kind of messy combination of colors, was so that when they got dirty, you wouldn't really notice. Mm. So when someone kind of spit their gum out and it became a new black circle on the tile, it would kind of blend into this already random black, red, and white colored tile. Yeah. That's an example of something like that piece didn't need much design. But you achieve something think of it. Yeah. But but, you can think about it still and just by kind of adding it, you considered the fact that even though it's going to get beaten up and not kind of hold a pride of place in a city, not get polished every day, it still kind of deserves some some thought. Yeah, but like in your case, in that case, it does fit in with the environment because if it gets dirty, you can't see it, but it still looks good, right? Yeah, like, but, but, but for yeah. like a vacuum that it's going to get banged up, you could, you can hear that fact and you could think, well, because of the way that it hangs on this hook, we know that these three areas are going to get scuffed up really badly. Right. Yeah. So let's add a texture to the plastic there. You can't mm. notice that. So it yeah. looks newer for longer. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great that point. Like, that's a great that idea. Is. I think it's just, like, for you, like, it's coming maybe from, like, a more engineering side that you love design. So you want to make something that's oversimplified over uh, efficient towards more like designed but like for me as I'm studying design right now I always worry about uh, over designed and going back to like the efficient side so I feel like if we find that balance in between then it's the perfect formula for like a product if we design something yeah there's there's always you're kind of looking uh, the way I've been thinking about it is, as 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 like a spectrum almost, is that there's the kind of artist all 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 in the left, who yeah. just kind of draws out the shapes and what it's going to look like, and and then there's the guy in the factory all 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 in the right, making sure that there are things that can make this part, yeah. and then you know, in between there you have the in, in, industrial designer, who kind of gets the corners, gets the yeah. what part you know where we're going to split this part because it has to be made. And then the, the engineer is going to actually figure out right. the venting and the heating and the what what kind of screw you're going to use and what kind of process you're going to use to make it. And then kind of like if if it's going to be just one person making it, or or maybe the question is really kind of where do you want to spend the most time and money? Where mm-hmm. in those four steps do you want to go and focus the most to get the most beautiful product out of it? Yeah, because, like, marketing, money, and, like, uh, how do you say, focus group? For us, we have to, like, choose, uh, like, what what's the, like, group that you're selling towards and that actually defines a lot, like, what you design, like, what you should make, how much different materials should you use if you're designing for, like, an old person, someone or someone that has, like, 
arthritis or blind have you like considered yeah. all these stuff yeah yeah but like from like what, what i've been talking about is like take take like apple would be a, an example where like the industrial designer is the most important person they have an idea and then they just tell the engineers to figure it out but there are companies where the designer has an idea the engineer says that's not possible and then the, and then the designer kind of changes it I feel like goes back and I feel it like and Apple's more like the engineer says that's not possible now, but we can do that in two more two or three years. And like companies in China, like let's say like Xiaomi or like Samsung, they're doing like all these concept designs. If you're seeing like those folding phones or like even LG, like during CES recently, they just released like a sliding phone. So like Apple's actually. I feel like it's like more engineering driven, but I don't know. We we don't even know. We're not in the company, but yeah, that's true. Yeah, I understand what you're saying, though. Yeah, it's always like a collaborative effort on all these projects for us. So, like you mentioned, Ed Rocher, does he influence you at all when you're doing like furniture patternings? I'm not sure he influences. It's it's funny he he doesn't influence. I don't think my furniture or my kind of engineering, but almost everything else in kind of my general mm. aesthetic sensibility. You know, what do I think looks good? What I think looks cool? I see. And and even to maybe to a greater extent, my 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 photographs. He he influences uh, his, yeah. his most famous series. Course of Empire, my favorite series of paintings in the world ever, except for maybe the original Course of Empire by Thomas Cole. I um, see. But the, these these paintings are very political, and the use of color and kind of clean lines, yeah, uh, are very. I just really appreciate them. I think they're really beautiful. Mm. Have I you been taking him, photos recently, though? Recently, I have not taking almost any photos i did put together a proposal for a project last summer that didn't get made i'm, I'm gonna do it next summer i think nice nice gonna be yeah. a, a series of portraits that's nice yeah i i chose like a winter session course just photography so i'm taking a lot of photos recently but for some reason i just it just feels weird taking photos now like i can't really f- I'm trying to find different stuff to shoot, different interesting angles, views, or, like, projects, but it's really been hard, I feel like, for some reason. Well, there's never been a better time to shoot cityscapes and landscapes. Yeah, that's true. You know, uh, my favorite photographer would be Tomas Struth, and he did a series of photos of downtown Manhattan back in the 80s. The thing uh, is, that's Manhattan, though. <laughs> that's well, the- but, but he 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 kind of photographed it, and they're they're good photographs because they're yeah. good photographs. But it does really help them a lot. Yeah, that they are empty. It's totally empty streetscape. Yeah, you mentioned like um, politics in Edouard's work and all that. So, what do you think? Like for like the tech industry, uh, what politics affected much 
or not since the election, Joe Biden, and all that? I don't know, man. I think that a lot of what's happened recently just kind of what's been happening the past few years is just everyone's kind of shouting and sometimes it's just hard to kind of assign responsibility or even assign the truth. You know, the past four years, all we've heard is conservatives complaining about these technology platforms silencing them, but that's almost not true at all. They've just been amplified, and and the and all the algorithms favor conservative voices. And yeah. not to get kind of too far into the right-left politics of it all, I do think something is coming for tech, and we've seen that already in the last two months with the two antitrust cases, maybe two mm. or three. Yeah, and uh, it'll be interesting. There are. Uh, I think I saw people people saying, uh, great third-hand source, but that um, the antitrust cases were um, filed too early, that the kind of Trump Department of Justice filed them, you know, six months earlier than they should have to kind of give Trump a, a political victory. And it'll be uh, interesting to see if that um, has any actual effect on whether or not in the next probably one to four years yeah these companies get 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 broken up you know like you have all the great antitrust antitrust of the past where actual manufacturers actual service providers you 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 break up at&t you break up standard oil and you get these smaller companies that serve regional areas what does breaking up facebook look like true and to the extent that affects design and art i would say probably not very great because Facebook and Google and Amazon don't make anything. These are, and this is my personal opinion, these are fake companies. I think they they're like services. information companies. They're data companies, they, essentially. They, they, they provide services, they provide data, whatever you want to call it. Amazon and Google sell ads. That really is their business model. Yeah. They, they steal their users' data. Yeah. They have legal background for it so it's not actual theft but perhaps it should be illegal and then they just sell ads and whether or not that uh, Uh, all the cookies these days you can't even avoid it yeah and then every time you hear of a new regulation that might cripple facebook or google and you think wow that's terrible they shouldn't pass that regulation they're going to cripple these giant companies but then you read the regulation and it makes perfect sense that this is how it should have always been, and you know that's that's just a bigger that's that's yeah. a bigger rant that I would rather not go on for twenty minutes about. But yeah, it's like nowadays, it's who controls the data actually controls who has then who has the most power. Almost like Google has so many information from all the searches that generates like every day, every year, and I remember like just hearing how like the importance of data and data is actually the thing that's like most valuable like think about it everything's data like your credit score everything like that so yeah we'll see how tech goes i just feel like all the tech companies has too much control now they're too big 
they are very big and I it'll be interesting to see the next few years because tech companies used to count Democrats as their close friends. Yeah. And then the past four years Democrats have been less and less enchanted by them for their own reasons. And then last year or two, yeah. they've come to really distrust and dislike them for how they've dealt with issues of quote unquote free speech. And yeah. now I'm not sure how many friends tech companies have in Congress, really. And you see these 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 hearings with the big CEOs and they're sitting across from senators and it takes a second to forget or to remember, I guess. It takes a second to remember that so powerful people in these rooms are the senators. Yeah. These companies that's are huge, true. they have many employees, but one senator is really a a big frame of power. Just you know, yeah, issuing I, I understand that. Yeah, of course. Like it's always regulations beyond the tech companies, but it's just how we view it today. It's just the power that the companies have. We kind of think that they have like the power to alter certain regulations as they talk to these like lawmakers or regulators and all that. That's true. But then you think, then, then you think about it for a second and you know, these men and women in their suits on the lectern, they, they write the law of the land. They are in control of what is allowed and not allowed. And yeah. that can change on a few days notice really. Yeah. True. So like, you're an engineering student, right? You graduated in about two years. What do you yeah. think after two years? How is it going to be like your uh, opportunity in the world or like just in the U.S.? Uh, like me personally or like generally? with Like personally with and like generally industry. like how will the world be like shaped when our, when our generation enters the society and there's like the business yeah. level since yeah. I feel like COVID is mean, going to end like in 2022 or 2023 and yeah. all the from, you know, my, I'm not yeah. a, a source worth citing, but if COVID really does kind of wrap up in the next few years um, and then you have new administration, stimulus heavy administration, um, economies emerging from recessions, you know, the, the economy will hopefully be on the upswing and it'll just mean new companies, new jobs. Um, and it's, it's convenient and pretty much only for people our age to enter the workforce at that point because yeah. these companies will be looking for new hires fresh out of college. And for yeah. me personally, as a kind of mechanical engineer, uh, Biden has been very um, big on emphasizing kind of made in America and yeah. American manufacturing. And that's what I'm kind of hoping for is I, I am, I am most interested in engineering, manufacturing, mm. you know, tooling design. Um, and Trump kind of did it with a punitive way with let's just disincentivize working with China. But if, yeah. if there can really be some sort of yeah. new way where new factors are being built and new things are being made 
and the most exciting new companies in America no longer make and sell software or ads, but actually make things, that would be something I'd be really excited to I look for. Tesla, <laughs> in some ways. Tesla is a fair example. That is an incredible company. Yeah. Incredibly overvalued, but That's, building a car. You never is know, though. So immensely complex. Yeah, of course. And they're just doing it. Yeah, like one great and, thing that Trump did was just focusing on bringing the jobs back, bringing like manufacturing back to the U.S. And he had the right we focus. Continue he did it in a very ineffective way. Yeah, I don't think Trump brought almost any jobs back to America. Yeah, true. You know, he's like he does like two good jobs. things, then he does like three bad things. I would say sometimes that's kind of his. Process of bringing the president to me. Well, but like, yeah, still. That's why, like, I didn't choose to gap this year. I feel like I feel the same way as you. How the opportunity for us is gonna be decent in like two years or three years, since they need we jobs. Can only hope. Yeah, yeah. We can only hope. Yeah. I mean, the stock market's doing like really good in some way. Twenty twenty. Even with COVID. Good. I would say that it's, it's almost the opposite. The fact that the stock market did so well despite COVID just shows how useless of an indicator it, it actually is. Yeah. For how well the country's doing. I mean, the number of people who are hungry, who are going hungry this year compared to last year, mm. and I mean, how, how high the stock market is, and the people who are fully employed, and it's just, the stock market should not be this high. It yeah, is incredible that it is. It's really and, weird. It's, you know, like Tesla grew how many percent? Two thousand percent? I'm not sure. I'm, don't quote me on that. But yeah, like remember, Elon Musk was valued at twenty five billion at the start of twenty twenty, and now he's valued at one hundred eighty eight billion dollars. The richest person on earth, which is kind of crazy, just because of Tesla. The one upside I'll say of Tesla's great success is that it has inspired a bunch of new American companies to build electric cars from scratch. Mm, just yeah. start from scratch. I've seen at least three or four different companies advertising, job posting, internship postings, new cars, which is crazy. I mean, how many new American car companies were started between 1990 and 2010? Yeah. It must be close to zero. Yeah, it must be. true. Yeah. So there is, there is, and from the perspective of a mechanical engineer, you know, things are becoming more and more solid state. Few and few, fewer and fewer moving parts in the world in general. That's yeah. a business for us. But all these new car companies, it's, that's real engineering. It's really exciting. Stuff. Yeah. All the auto, auto driving stuff, autopilot, and yeah, the cars. Like the only problem with Tesla for like manufacturing in the US is the quality of it compared to like the traditional like German engineering, as you can see, like on certain Tesla cars, there's like gaps and like weird, just weird places that doesn't fit and match where, you know, like an actual luxury car, like BMW or like Mercedes, you don't have that. So I feel like in two or three years or four or five, I think that's the goal that Tesla has to get to. Like, the manufacturing level in the U.S. has to grow in, like, quality-wise, not quantity. 
Yeah, making a car is an incomprehensibly difficult thing. I mean, if you've designed anything that has even three moving parts, you know, making a car must be just basically impossible. Yeah. So I would say that Tesla does, the quality of Tesla does feel better than the quality of, you know, a, a Ford or a GM. Especially because Ford and GM are made more in Mexico than Teslas are. That's um, true. Yeah, and you know, props Tesla for just opening new factories and just building new factories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which they could easily have done. Uh, you know, somewhere else. I'll yeah. say, Elon Musk. I will not give him that much credit for most things, but I do have questions about the boring company, about his tunnel boring company. Yeah, I want to know, and this is a question for someone to call in to you and answer. I want to know where the factory is for his new boring machine. The boring? It's a tunnel, though. They're tunnel boring machines, and I believe the two companies that made them before he entered the market was a big-ass Swiss company, and then I think they had a copycat out of China. And Elon Musk said, I can do this marginally profitable business, and I can do it well. And everyone was like, all right. Uh, and then he, he, he kind of, you know, some weird BS about how it'll well you know it's Elon Musk it's sled. it's Elon Musk you know and and then all of that stuff was pretty much bald faced advertising but apparently he claims he can make his machines I think maybe 10 times faster than the Swiss company can do mm-hmm. it and that company I want to work on so a, a tunnel bore machine from the perspective of a Mechi is yeah. like the world's most interesting machine and that's yeah. what i want to build like and i know that they have that. job postings in fremont california and mm. i want to see the factory for that thing because mm. these things are the size of a city block they're yeah. huge i remember um looking at articles that the tunnels are like some are going to be built in dubai for testing or is it already built they have like one I, they have one in california or somewhere right I'm not I sure. Think they, I think they're they've finished um, in Las Vegas. They did one, yeah, underneath the strip. But I haven't seen the like the actual machine that goes fast in it. Like I've seen the, like a Tesla go through it. Yeah, and and that I mean is the biggest lie of the whole thing. But <laughs> let's just dig tunnels to put cars through it. Yeah, but like that's I mean, all. That's. Remember his grand plan? Elon Musk's grand plan is moving down rather than up. It's building like a tunnel system downwards yeah. where like all the cars can move accordingly yeah, like with the system. I mean, that's a th- wants- that's a big dream. If that works, our society would be great, but it would take you 300 see, that years. Is where, to- that is where I would disagree with you. It's the the idea that we should dig all these tunnels and then put cars in them is a massive waste of time because you can only fit one to four people in a car. And maybe you only do four, 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 four people are allowed. It'll be a bunch of one people going to work cars. And if at that point, you may as well build a train. And this we, is could, thing we could do Silicon a train. Valley. Yeah, we could always do a train. But, but the train is like the actual like end goal. And he's looking at cars. He wants to sell more cars. And he wants to sell this vision to, to Los Angeles. But you look yeah. at all these companies in Silicon Valley. I mean, Uber and Lyft keep accidentally inventing the bus. You know, they have they have Uber to single people. There's a bus and they now? They have Uber Pool. And then I think at one point, Lyft 
thought, well, lift pool is great. Yeah. So what we're going to do next, make it even more efficient, is have predetermined drop-off and pickup points so that it's not constantly going in circles. And we're going to make the cars bigger, hold more people. And then, oh, that's, that's a bug. Sorry. Mm. <laughs> and then there, there are all these ideas in Silicon Valley that are just ordinary, existing, boring infrastructure ideas that they then kind of put these, no offense to graphic designers, they put these nice graphics on them yeah, and they call yeah. them innovative. The boring company, it, it will not be profitable to put cars on sleds in a tunnel. Trains are already almost not profitable. But yeah. trains will work. Trains will actually solve problems. If, and, like, and, and the same thing goes for, 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 for self-driving cars. Everyone thinks self-driving cars are going to save, save the world. But look at New York City. If, if every car was self-driving and everyone took a self-driving car instead of their own car or a bus or a train, there's physically not enough square footage of a road to accommodate all the cars you need. You're mm-hmm. always going to need trains and buses. These cars are not going to help you. They're not going to save you. For sure. Yeah. The, the, the future is already here. The future came here 100 years ago with a horse pulling a cart full of people. Yeah. That was the future. It's done. It's been here. That's true. Yeah, like for electric cars, like you say it's green energy now, but like like making these cars actually, because like we don't have enough of electrical cars it's actually not green enough at the moment. So for like yeah, that's, actually to be green, it needs a lot of time. That's the unfortunate kind of truth of the electric car thing. Is yeah. that the best thing to do for the environment is to not buy a new car. Yeah. The best thing for the environment is to buy a new car every 20 years. Yeah. Because it takes so much energy to build a new car that even if it uses five gallons, five, even, even if you can go five miles further on every gallon of gas, the amount of energy it took to build your new car and ship it to you yeah. is just monumental. Exactly. It's like when, when, when we invented the car, there was like this discussion of, we had trains, we had like this really great like transportation tool that, takes a lot of people to different places and along the way you can do other stuff and it's pretty efficient. You can, you can even look at the views, but then we invented the car, which sometimes you, you have to drive and it takes the energy out of you. You can't really do any business at all, which is not efficient and also hurting the planet at the same time. So Innovation is always double-sided. Yeah, I mean, whether or not, I mean, I would say probably overall the car was a positive invention. Yeah, of course. But uh, there's definitely, it's, yeah. you know, not everything about the car is better than everything about the train. Yeah, we'll, see, we'll see either. where it goes, the electrical but, car future. But that is the future, though, electricity. Yeah, yeah definitely. definitely. Or hydrogen fuel cells. Yeah, mm-hmm. that definitely. that would be interesting. Yeah, like the con. Have you seen like the Conisig, um, Rig- Rigera? No, not the Rig- like the new like GT. They, they have one that on hydrogen. I don't think it's hydrogen, but it says they it, it runs on like a uh, volcanic fuel or something like that. Weird. Like something cool. like 
Yeah, something weird, but it's really cool. All right. No, there. Yeah, there are definitely in the last year or two uh, beginning to be kind of proof of concept for hydrogen fuel cell. Yeah. Uh, freight train engines, commuter yeah, rail, yeah. uh, container ships. They're kind of doing the first round of proof of concepts of those. Yeah. But that would be uh, really want interesting. Yeah. A fun, a fun thing. You mentioned how how tiring it is to drive versus being on a train. Yeah. And I was on my high horse about how the future showed up 100 years ago, and we've been ignoring it. Yeah. Um, I have a story that combines those two things, which is that. When was it? A long time ago, they figured out it, it might be basically kind of a one-way wireless telegraph. Mm. Um, and it might have been two-way. I'm not quite sure. But say you were like a business person on a train yeah. near Chicago for a meeting, and that is a 19 to 24-hour train, depending on what train you're taking. And if you wanted to, you could send a telegram wirelessly from the train. Yeah. It would go to whoever you're sending it to. They could get the telegram. They could respond to it, send another one back, and it would be waiting at the next station, and the <laughs> conductor would pick it up and give it to you. Wow. And it's basically like email. Yeah, true. It's a, a big, long distance. Like You could work on the train the, yeah. the, the same way you do now, except without your iPhone. Yeah, exactly. I think that's a hilarious example. And that's not, you know, obviously very expensive and it wouldn't work for everyone. But yeah, for that's an example of kind of, we've, we've, we've had this for a while. Yeah, true. Like history is just always turning, turning around, repeating, but improving at the same time. Exactly. Yeah. All right. So we're almost out of time. I have one last question for you. Yeah. So, you know, Elon Musk, all these, he's working on this Neuralink and all this stuff. And we're yeah. like engineering, design, industrial design. So software vs. hardware. Is hardware at a limit? And where do you think the future is? Software versus hardware future. All right. I'll say two things to that. First thing I'll say is that hardware, in terms of like mechanical objects, in many cases, has reached very, you know, high standards, almost limit. So the they've they've reached limit of their materials. Yeah. Um, with like the the iPhone being a good example, in that it just uh, they keep changing the corner shape. It's the same exact thing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yep. But one thing I'll say before people in software get all high and mighty, and this is with the exception of AI, possibly, mm. is that. Programmers for the last 50 years have been able to write programs, and if it runs too slowly or it's not that efficient, they can just wait two years, and a new set of computer chips will come out that is twice as fast and will make their program good enough and run very quickly and very, not efficiently, but quickly, and it'll look good. Mm. So hardware, in the most expansive view of it, which is anything that is physical and not just ones and zeros, has been propping up software for the last 20 years, the last 40 years. And you take the fact that if we call Moore's Law dead and say that new chips are going to start slowing down yeah. until we get to quantum computing, which is a whole separate thing. But mm. new chips are going to keep slowing down. 
and soon software people will have to start actually innovating and going through and very closely engineering their software until it is and then basically they're going to have to start where mechanical engineers have been for the last 2,000 years they're going to have to start working at the limits of, of their materials and make their own progress kind of genuinely um, so yes and no I will always be a mechanical engineer as long as things yeah. move I will I will build them yeah of course um, yeah me too but industrial design all the way yeah, you. That's a in, very interesting point. I never thought of it like that before. Yeah, like the Apple M1 chip, just like smashes the Intel chips and CPU power. Just amazing. Yeah, yeah. SOC. Yeah. Well, that's all for today, I guess. Do you have any recent plans? Anything to promote? Let the people know. Nothing to promote. Uh, nothing at the moment. If you want to buy a bench, call Jeff. <laughs> uh, they're beautiful. And they're for sale. All right. Once again, thanks okay. for being on the okay. podcast. <laughs> thanks for being on the podcast, my man. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Yeah. It's been a pleasure. It was really nice talking to you and this really wonderful conversation with all these ideas. And for the audience, thanks for listening. If you like the podcast please subscribe and like and spread the word about the podcast thank you for listening again and i'll see you next week